بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so today's uh, lecture today, today's topic uh, the next lecture in the, in the book is connected to the previous topic it has a connection and the previous topic that we discussed uh, two weeks ago was the view of many of the scholars regarding the khawarij and making takfir of them meaning considering the khawarij to be disbelievers and we looked at many of the evidences that this group of scholars present from the ahadith from the texts uh, from the authentic sunnah of the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and from those arguments or from those evidences was that first of all in no particular order that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi described the khawarij as sharrul khalqi wal khaliqa sharrul khalqi wal khaliqa the most evil the most evil of the creatures or of the creation and obviously you cannot describe someone to be from the most evil of the creation if they are muslim right so this is one line of argument the other line of argument is that because the khawarij made something lawful which allah and his messenger made unlawful they made istihlal of the haram which means to kill muslims and to make lawful the taking of the blood of muslims to deem it halal to do so this is another angle that the scholars considered the khawarij these scholars considered the khawarij to be uh, disbelievers and also the third reason or third angle is that those khawarij which appeared in the time of ali radiyallahu anhu they made takfir they declared some or many of the companions to be disbelievers and this itself is takdeeb of allah because allah in the quran in many ayat of the quran and likewise the messenger of allah sallam has uh, spoken of uh, the companions in general but also specifically uthman and ali radiyallahu anhuma and others to be people of paradise so that means that you have to say allah was not truthful in the quran and that the messenger was not truthful in the sunnah when he spoke of of, of these as being people of paradise so takfir of the sahaba is a third line of evidence a fourth line of evidence is that these scholars say very clearly we see the words used in these ahadith are very clear yamruquna yamruquna min al-islam or yakhrujuna which means that they that they leave and they exit and they depart from islam <coughs> and they also 
mentioned the similitude mentioned in the hadith how they pass through Islam like an arrow passes through the game and comes out the other side with nothing, nothing of, of the flesh or the animal, you know, attached to the arrow, right? So uh, this means that these people, they, they, you know, enter into Islam and then pass straight out with nothing of Islam kind of really attached uh, to them. And this is easily understand, understandable because even in, in the contemporary time, when you look at these uh, people, the ISIS people who used to recruit, um, you know, ignorant yobs and people off the street and people who just newly become Muslim and they draw them into this kind of doctrine without them really having touched the essence of what Islam is, what Tawheed is, what Iman is. And then they take them and misguide them and take them away to, to kill Muslims and to bomb Muslims and to, you know, engage. And they haven't really entered into really the... Islam hasn't really touched them. And just like the Messenger said, that they recite the Qur'an and it does not go beyond their throats. So this is a, a fourth line of evidence. And the fifth line of evidence is also the Messenger of Allah, he said in authentic hadith that if I was to reach these people, if I was to reach these people, I would slaughter them like the slaughtering of Ad. Or in another narration, like the slaughtering of Thamud. And these are nations that were destroyed in the past. They were completely annihilated. Not a single one of them you know, was, was left. And so what the scholars like Ibn Hajar, they say, that the meaning of these hadiths is that if the messenger was alive and he reached these people, then he would have slaughtered them every single last one of them right so this was uh, or these are some evidences that some of the scholars used to make the takfir of the khawarij and obviously this is not this is not the view of all of the scholars there is a view that the khawarij are simply sinful deviants um, um, you know so that that is another view but these these evidences are quite uh, compelling as you can see so today's lesson is connected in the sense that it again is connected to the issue of revolting and rebelling and uh, revolution. And in this lecture, what Sheikh Obeid does is there is an individual uh, by the name uh, Hajjaj Al-Ajmi, and he wrote an article in one of the, I believe it is the Syrian, or he wrote an, uh, an article about the Syrian revolution. And in this article, he brings what he thinks is an evidence to justify revolting against the ruler on the basis of material issues, on issues to do with wealth or with land or issues similar to that. And so the essence of the doubt is that there was a wali called Ambasa and he is an agent of Muawiyah and he ruled over Ta'if Ta'if and a dispute happened between him and between uh, another, another companion or a companion called Abdullah bin Amr Abdullah bin Amr and this dispute was over a piece of land over a piece of land and Abdullah bin Amr 
felt that the, that the land was his and had been taken unjustly. So he set out and he, he, he equipped soldiers and prepared them for battle. And he went out to fight against Ambasa over this land. And as he was doing so, there was another uh, companion called Khalid bin al-As. Khalid bin al-As. And so he went to him and he basically said, you know, what, what are you doing? Uh, you should not do this. And he admonished him. And the response of Abdullah bin Amr was to say or was to mention and quote the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Man qatala duna malihi fahuwa shaheed Whoever fought for his property whoever fought in order to protect his property then he is a shaheed he is a martyr so this was his interpretation of the, of the situation that he was justified in fighting on account of this particular hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So this individual here, uh, Hajjaj al-Ajmi, in the article that he wrote around 2013, and this is the same time, as, as you know, around the time of, of ISIS and the Khawarij appearing in Syria and Iraq as a, as a, as a group in the midst of turmoil. So... This individual, what he's saying is that the people of the Sunnah, the scholars, you know, they, they hide these hadiths or they hide these texts and they don't bring them out to the people because they want to hide the truth and so on and so forth. And it's because they want to uh, defend the rulers and support the rulers and defend them upon falsehood. And, and so he's basically making this kind of accusation. This is the accusation. So the response... Sheikh Ubaid's response and clarification of this issue, and in fact this is a very, very good clarification because we will see some nice uh, intricate details about the issue of what happens you know, if a ruler uh, confiscates your wealth or doesn't fulfill your rights and you know, what, what are the various categories of things that the ruler may ask you to do. And what is the ruling upon them? Is it wajib? Is it, is it you know, unlawful? Is it prohibited? Is it... And so this is a nice clarification from the Shaykh. And so he begins, first of all, by mentioning uh, the narration from Sahih Muslim and that uh, one of the Thabit, who is the freed uh, slave of Umar bin Abdurrahman, he informed him that when Abdullah bin Amr had the dispute with Ambasa bin Abi Sufyan, uh, you know, there was a dispute that they had. Um, he prepared for battle. He prepared for fighting. Abdullah bin Amr. So Khalid bin al-As went to him, admonished him. But Abdullah bin Amr, he said, Do you not know that the Messenger of Allah said, Whoever fights for his property, then he is, or whoever is killed whilst fighting for his property, then he is a shaheed, he is a martyr. So, Sheikh says, first of all, first point is that this man who's using this argument, he is accusing the scholars of the Sunnah. Right? Basically, he's saying that uh, they are flattering uh, the ruler and they are defending and compromising with the ruler 
knowingly, on purpose, and of course this is this is ittiham, this is making an accusation against the scholars of the Sunnah. The scholars of the Sunnah have a reason as to why they call to obedience and absence of re re rebellion. And that reason is because the Messenger of Allah is the one who came and he brought this, he, he brought this from, from revelation. The second thing that is in this argument of this individual, Hajjaj al-Ajmi, is that he is openly calling the population to basically revolt and rebel against a Muslim, a Muslim ruler. And this type of activity, as we know, is only engaged in by the Khawarij and the Qa'adiyya and those people who claim to have knowledge of the current affairs as they claim. Uh, this, is, this is their way. And so the first thing quoted by the Sheikh in refutation of this is the statement of Imam al-Sabuni in his book Aqidat uh, al-Salaf wa Ashab al-Hadith he says, وَعَلَامَةُ وَعَلَامَاتُ الْبِدَعْ عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا ظَاهِرَةٌ بَاضِيَةٌ The signs and the evidences of innovation upon their people are very clear and very apparent. And the most clear sign of theirs is that they have intense hatred towards those who convey and carry the reports from the Prophet wasallam. And they belittle them and they label them with titles such as Hashawiyya, the worthless ones, the lowly ones, Jahala, the ignoramuses, Zahiriya, the literalists, Mushabbiha, the ones who liken Allah to his creation. And this is because such people, they believe that the reports of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam are devoid of knowledge. There isn't any knowledge in conveying the hadith of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that the knowledge, the real knowledge is actually really with them, with what shaitan, you know, uh, inspires them with or throws at them, which are really the products of their corrupt intellects and the whisperings of their dark chests or their dark hearts and you know the murmurings and the whisperings of, of, of their hearts which are empty of goodness which are empty and also their arguments which are you know doubts which are futile and vain and false and then he mentions the verse they are the ones whom Allah has cursed and who has made them uh, dumb and uh, deaf and blind in, in, in their vision. And also he mentions the statement of Allah, Whomever Allah belittles and humiliates, there is none to give honor. Indeed, Allah does whatever he wills. So this here is the speech of As-Sabuni, speaking in general, about the people of innovation, how? When the people of the Sunnah, we are people of the Sunnah, and we speak with what the Messenger spoke of, whether it is to do with Allah's attributes, for example. We say Allah hears, Allah sees, Allah is pleased, Allah becomes angry, Allah has a face. This angers these people. This angers these people because 
the, 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 the source of their knowledge when they speak about Allah and his names and his attributes is on the basis of Greek philosophy and kalam and speculation and you know the whisperings of their, of their, of their souls as, the, as, as, as Sabuni mentioned and so they hate that the akhbar, the narrations and the reports of the messenger are, are related. Similarly, on this issue of the rulers, we see that when the people of the Sunnah, they advise with patience and obedience in that which is uh, ma'roof, that which is good, then they detest these narrations. And they claim that there is no knowledge in these narrations, and that the real knowledge is with them, of their knowledge of, of politics and, and you know, the realities and so on and so forth. And this is why the scholars of the Salaf of the past, they recognized this and they identified this, and this is why they speak of these people in, in such a way. So anyhow, coming to the actual doubt, how do we answer this doubt? This is one of many doubts which, which they use. Uh, Abdullah bin Amr, what is the answer, what is the response? And the Shaykh begins the first point by saying that first of all, Abdullah bin Amr bin al-As radiallahu anhu kana muta'awwilan he made an interpretation right, this is a faulty interpretation which he made in the circumstances and when a person makes a faulty interpretation and this comes from a righteous man, a good man who has a lofty standing, who has virtue and excellence and who also has imama. He has a leadership in religion and he's an imam in the sunnah. Then how do we behave with respect to this faulty interpretation? We reject the faulty interpretation why? Because it opposes clear texts from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. However, we maintain his honor. We maintain his dignity. We protect his dignity. So we do not speak ill of him. We do not belittle him or attack him or revile him for this error. Because this is obviously this is an unintended slip. It's a mistake in understanding. It's a mistake. It's a, it's a misapplication of a text to a situation it does not apply to. Right? The hadith used by Abdullah bin Amr, Man qatala duna malihi fahuwa shaheed, whoever, sorry, sorry, man, man qutila, the one who uh, is killed, the one who is killed whilst protecting his um, property or wealth, then he is a shaheed. Right? So this was a, an interpretation of this hadith. And so, uh, this is the first point that the Sheikh mentions and he says what indicates that this is a ta'wil from Abdullah bin Amr is that he himself narrates a hadith which is on this topic which is the statement of the Messenger of Allah if uh, whoever pledges allegiance to an imam and gives him you know, his hand and, and his heart, meaning in sincerely in pledging allegiance, 
then let him obey him as much as he is able. If another one comes to contend with him in his leadership, then strike the neck of the other one. And the Shaykh mentions the rest of the, of, of, of the, uh, of the hadith, uh, at the end of which is uh, the narrator asks a question, and the answer he's given is, you know, regarding the ruler, obey him in obedience to Allah and disobey him if it involves disobedience to Allah. Right? So this is the first answer. The first, the first answer to this doubt is Abdullah bin Amr. He made ta'wil. He made a faulty interpretation. He came across a text which he thought justified him fighting against uh, the Waliul Amr because it was an issue to do with wealth that had been taken unjustly. And so he used this hadith, whoever is killed whilst fighting for his property or defending his property, then he is, he is a martyr. The second point is that the person whom Abdullah bin Amr went to fight was not the actual Khalifa. He's not the actual Khalifa. He's not the, the ruler of the Muslims. Because the ruler of the Muslims in that time is actually Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. And this individual that he went to fight was simply just a kind of a, a delegate or an agent or a representative. And it's for this reason that Abdullah bin Amr deemed it permissible to fight in order to protect his property. Right? He wasn't fighting against the Khalifa. Right? So in his, in his understanding, uh, which is, he applied those hadiths. I'm, I'm not fighting against the Khalifa. He applied it to this situation as it applies to an agent or a representative. But even then, he was still mistaken in that as well. Right? But anyhow, that's the second point. He is not fighting against Muawiyah, who is the Khalifa of the... Uh, the Muslims. The third angle is that Khalid bin al-As bin Hisham ibn al-Mughira he went to Abdullah bin Amr and um, this indicates that the issue was already established with Khalid and others from the companions that the Waliul Amr is not to be fought against is not to be fought against in material, in matters of, of material affairs, right? This is something that the people of the Sunnah are agreed upon. Imam Ahmed said in Usul Sunnah, وَلَا يَحِلُّ كِتَارُ السُّلْطَانِ وَلَا الْخُرُوجِ عَلَيْهِ لِأَحَدٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ وَمَنْ فَعَلَ ذَلِكَ فَهُوَ مُبْتَدِئٌ عَلَى غَيْرِ السُّنَّةِ It is not lawful to fight against the ruler and nor to revolt against him for any of the people. Whoever does that, then he is an innovator upon other than the Sunnah. Meaning that obviously by that time, by the time of Imam Ahmed and, and before him as well, this matter had become firmly established and settled. After the various tribulations which happened amongst the companions and thereafter, because it is possible that some of the companions, they made a faulty interpretation due to not having all of the of, of the texts or maybe not returning back to uh, the, the the more senior and the greater in, in understanding however after 
a time when the narrations were brought together, this issue became very clear and very apparent that this is what the Sunnah has come with. Al Barbahari, he also said, It is not lawful to fight against the ruler nor to rebel against him, even if they were to be tyrannical. And this is due to the statement of the Messenger of Allah to Abu Dhar. Isbir wa in kana abdan habashiyan. Be patient, even if it is an Abyssinian slave. And so also, what he said to the Ansar, Isbiru hatta talqauni ala alhaud. Be patient until you meet me at the haud, meaning till till you die and you are resurrected and you meet me at the haud, the drinking pool on Yom al Qiyamah. So. It is not from the way of the people of the Sunnah to fight against the ruler on account of material matters to do with taking wealth and being unjust and not fulfilling rights. Why? Because in this lies the corruption and the destruction of the religion and of the worldly affairs together. The fourth point, the fourth angle the Sheikh mentions is that that the Sheikh then goes on to bring three hadiths as evidence. Three hadiths as evidence for this particular view of the people of the Sunnah. The first hadith is the hadith in Sahih Muslim from Abdullah radiallahu anhu who said that the Messenger of Allah he said, Innaha satakoonu ba'di Innaha satakoonu ba'di athara Indeed, there is going to be after me, athara. What does this word mean? It means that the rulers are going to um, uh, look after their own interests. And they won't look after your interests. right? And they will uh, bring wealth or draw wealth into themselves. And they won't look after you. They will prefer themselves over you. Right? This is going to happen. The messenger is telling his companions, this is going to happen. And there will be umurun tunkirunaha. There will be affairs that you will reject or you will dislike. And so the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, كَيْفَ تَأْمُرُ مَنْ أَدْرَكَ مِنَّ ذَلِكَ How do you advise those amongst us who will reach that? So he said, to أَدُّونَ الْحَقِّ الذي عليكم ويسألوا وتسألون الله الذي لكم that you fulfill the right that uh, is upon you so you fulfill your duty to the ruler meaning obey him in that which is good and you ask Allah for the right which is due to you ask it from Allah so Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah Allah he quotes this hadith and he has commentary upon this uh, hadith. Satakun ba'di atharatun wa umurun tunkirunaha. Qalu fama ta'muruna ya Rasulullah. Qala addu ilayhim haqqahum. Wasulullaha haqqahum. Fulfill your right towards them. And ask Allah for your right. Which is due to you from them. So the Shaykh says, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. These hadiths, which are similar to these hadiths, authentic hadiths, he commanded them alongside mentioning their oppression. He commanded them to have patience and to give them their rights and 
that the one who is mazloom, the one who is oppressed, that he asks his right from Allah. And he did not give permission to the one who is oppressed, to, you know, the one who's been transgressed against, to fight the one who transgressed against him in the likes of these types of circumstances, right? In which fighting is a fitna. In the same way, for example, what Ibn Taymiyyah is saying here, that the Messenger of Allah actually did give us permission to fight in certain situations. And this is, for example, when a sa'il, you know, he comes to you, an intruder comes to your house, a robber, a burglar, they come to your area and they're attacking houses, they're looting. You have every right in this situation to uh, fight and to defend yourself and to kill if necessary, right? Because the Messenger has clearly given us that permission. That's what the meaning of the hadith is. The meaning that was mentioned uh, of the hadith mentioned or used by Abdullah bin Amr. Whoever is killed whilst protecting his property and his wealth, then he is a martyr. This is what it applies to. Uh, applies to. So any situation like this, where someone comes to your house, uh, a thief, a robber, a burglar, or there's an attack on the area and people are coming, you have every right now to, to defend yourself. However, in this situation to do with the ruler who is not fulfilling your rights and who's taking land or property from you without without you right and you know in this situation you are prohibited from fighting because this fighting now is a fighting of fitna it leads to evil and tribulation and so uh, Ibn Taymiyyah mentions the hadith, حيث قال من قتل دون ماله فهو شهيد ومن قتل دون دينه فهو شهيد Whoever is killed whilst defending his property and wealth is a martyr. Whoever is killed on account of his religion, then he is a martyr. And he says, on the basis of this hadith, fighting against thieves, robbers, this is not... This is not the fighting of tribulation because, you know, all of the people, um, th there's no kind of general harm uh, that comes to other than the oppressor. When you fight against the thief, when you fight against the burglar, there's no other harm that's going to come to anybody else. It's you, the thief, the burglar, the intruders, the, the, you know, the ones who are attacking, it's just you and them. Um, and as for fighting the rulers and the leaders, then within this is a general type of evil which will then engulf or which can engulf the rest of the, of the society. And this evil that happens is greater than the original oppression that they were doing upon the population. And therefore, what is al-mashru' that which is legislated in these types of circumstances is to have sabr. Right? So this is one very clear, explicit hadith from the Messenger of Allah. And this is a way of the people of Iman, the people of Tawheed, the people of Sunnah. It is Islam. It is submission to the text. Right? There's no, there's no intellect. There's no reason. There's no, you know, uh, along with that. Once the text is clear, a believer, he, he submits humbly to that. Second hadith, which is also very powerful. It's the hadith of Hudayfa radiallahu anhu. And 
He said, Kultu ya Rasulullah, inna kunna fi jahiliyatin wa shar, Allahu bi khayrin, fanahnu fihi. Fahal min warai hadha al-khayr sharrun. Hudayfa said, O Messenger of Allah, we used to be in the days of ignorance and evil. Allah brought this goodness to us, meaning Islam. And so we now are in, are in this goodness. Is there any evil beyond this goodness? And so the Messenger said, Naam, yes. And Hudayfa said, Is there any evil or is there any goodness after that? The Messenger said, Naam, yes, there is. Then he said, is there any evil after that goodness? And the messenger said, Naam, yes, wafihi dakhan. Yes, but there will be some, some, you know, some, some kind of cloudiness uh, therein. And Hudayfa said, Kaif, how, how is this? What, how, what form will this take? And the messenger said, Yakunu ba'di a'immatun la yihtaduna bihadi wa la yastannuna bi sunnati he said there will be after me leaders who will, not, who will not guide themselves by my guidance. That's the first description. Nor will they follow my sunnah. That's the second description. Then he said, Fihim uh, rijalun. Amongst them will be men. Qulubuhum qulubu shiyateen. Fi juthmani ins. Amongst them will be men who will have the hearts of devils in the bodies of men. Right, this now is the third description. So this now is the third description. They have the hearts of devils in the bodies of men. And so Hudayfa said, what should I do, O Messenger of Allah, if I reach that time? And so he said, Tasma' wa tuti' lil amir wa induriba dhahruk wa ukhida maluk. He said, you should hear and obey the amir who's just been described as not following his guidance, not following his sunnah, and having the hearts of devils in the bodies of men. He said, hear and obey, even if your back is struck and your wealth is taken, then hear and obey. And 
this hadith is very, very clear and very apparent. And Al-Qurtubi, rahimullah, he said in Al-Mufhim, he said that obedience to the umara, to the leaders, is obligatory even if that even if they gave preference to themselves and they hoarded wealth and they didn't look after the interests of the people but they were concerned about themselves and, and acquiring wealth and acquiring you know, riches and so on and so forth um, you know, uh, to the detriment of the people so he said uh, Al-Qurtubi says rather he said even more severe than that because he said to Hudayfa Meaning, not only just preferring themselves with wealth, but even going beyond that and actually striking an individual, beating an individual, and confiscating his wealth. He also said, this is Al-Qurtubi, he said, hear and obey, even if your back is struck and your wealth is taken, this is a command to the one to whom this is done. To show Islam, to, to submit, meaning to, to the command of the Messenger of Allah, and to abandon revolting out of fear that the affair might expand and you know grow into something which is greater and greater in, 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 in evil. And this is what we know from, from history of nations and civilizations and from Islamic history and from other than Islamic history which is that whenever people, they revolt on grounds of social injustice and economic injustice, then what ends up happening is that uh, the evil that results is multiple times worse than the evil that they initially were, were suffering. And that's either because, you know, things like civil war breaks out, as, as we see has happened in many of the Muslim lands, uh, or what happens is that the ruler becomes even more tyrannical and to hold on to his power, he then, without discrimination, just slaughters, starts slaughtering and, and you know, imprisoning and you know, he doubles down on his, on his tyranny. It makes him even more determined to hold on to his power. And so now you've ended up in a situation that was even worse than the, than the first one that you, that, you, that you were in. And also thirdly, is that tyrannical rulers... And evil rulers who harm the people, they themselves are an instrument and a tool. They have been placed by Allah as a trial and a punishment for the people for their sins. So instead, and this is exactly what Al-Hasan Al-Basri, rahimahullah, he mentioned to some zealous youths who wanted to go and fight against Hajjaj. And they didn't listen to his advice. And they went and they all got slaughtered. And that's because... Um, you know, rulers, they are a punishment from Allah upon the population for their sins and for their disobedience. And so the way to remove yourself from this evil is to, you know, be humble to Allah, to make tawbah, to rectify your affairs in yourself, in your soul, in your household, remove the evils and sins from the society and the things that people are doing, which bring about these tyrannical rulers, as the messenger himself said, that never do the people cheat in the weights and measures between themselves, except that they are taken, except they are taken, they are they are taken by years of hardship and scarcity of provision and the tyranny, uh, the, the tyranny of the ruler over them.
right? So, um, th- there's tremendous wis- wisdom in these statements of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he also says on this hadith that the Messenger, he commanded uh, obedience to the Amir even if he struck your back and he took your wealth. And this shows or this proves that the Imam, he is obeyed, he is the one who has authority. <coughs> Irrespective of whether he is righteous, just, or whether he is oppressive. And similarly, Al-Allama uh, al-Shawkani, rahimahullah, he said, in Nail al-Awtar, وَإِن دُرِبَ ذَخْرُكَ مَالُكَ Even if your back is struck and your wealth is taken, in this is evidence for the obligation of obedience to the ruler even if he reaches this level of like tyranny and severity and you know where he even starts beating, imprisoning and beating the, 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 the subject and takes their wealth because this, and this is important here, he says, فَيَكُونَ هَذَا مُخَصِّسًا لِعُمُومِ قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى فَمَنِ اعْتَدَى عَلِيكُمْ فَاعْتَدُوا عَلِيهِ بِمِثْلِ مَا اعْتَدَى عَلِيكُمْ Right, so there's a verse in the Qur'an in which Allah says Whoever transgresses against you Then transgress back against him With the likes or the equivalent of what he transgressed against you Right, so this ayah is a, is a proof along with the other hadith Whoever is killed while protecting his wealth is a martyr So if, if a robber or a thief, or a burglar, or some outbreak of fighting happens and it spills over into, into your house or your neighborhood and people start fighting and killing you, you have the right now to defend and you can use the same amount of you know, violence or fighting or transgression that they're using against you. If they're killing people, you, you kill them, right? And, you know, if they, uh, you know, you use an equivalent amount. This is a general principle, this general rule applies to, to everybody in every situation like this. However, the situation with the ruler is a, a specific exception to this generalization. Right? So this verse now does not apply when it comes to the issue of the ruler. And also he mentions another verse, وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مِثْلُهَا the recompense for an evil, for an evil, is an evil of its like, right? The recompense of an evil is an evil of its like. And Ibn Rahimullah, he mentions here in this verse, there's a question that someone might say, how can you, how can an evil be responded to with an evil? If you think about the verse, وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ how can an evil be responded to with an evil? Because isn't this unlawful? And so Ibn Taymiyyah explains that in this ayah, the word sayyi'ah here is referring to a calamity. Because the word sayyi'ah can mean evil as in something which is evil and prohibited and, and disobedience, but it also means like a sayyi'ah, meaning some calamity that befalls you so if someone comes and brings a calamity upon you a sayyi'ah like a thief or a burglar and comes and attacks your house then the recompense is a sayyi'ah of its like then you fight back against him and you bring 
the like evil to him, which means either injury if he's trying to injure you, or death if he's trying to kill you. Right? And this is the meaning of this of the of this ayah. Also, Siddiq Hassan Khan, rahimahullah, he said in his tafsir uh, something uh, similar that um, they are to be given their rights even if they prohibit you your rights. If they prevent your rights, you are still to give them their rights. As occurs in the hadith, Give them what is due to them and ask Allah what is due to you. And uh, Shaykh Ibn Thaymeen, rahimahullah, he also said in Sharh Riyad Salihin, and he said that if it is, you know, if we say for argument's sake that the Waliul Amr, the ruler, he takes more from you than that which is required, then this is dhulm, this is oppression. And it is not lawful for the ruler to do that. But as for the person of the wealth which is being taken, then he must still show hearing and obedience due to the statement of the, of the Prophet this is the second hadith. A third hadith that the Shaykh brings is the hadith of Salama bin Yazid al-Ja'fi who said, O Prophet of Allah, do you see that if there are rulers established over us who ask for their rights, they demand their rights, but they prohibit our rights, they prevent our rights. What do you command us? So he turned away from him. Then he asked him again. Then he turned away from him. Then he asked him again. And uh, so he then said eventually, Isma'u wa'ati'u fa'innama alihim ma hummilu wa'alaykum ma hummiltum. He said, you should hear and obey, for indeed, upon them is what they have been burdened with. So they have their burden of responsibility. And upon you is your burden of responsibility. So the, these are three hadiths. In fact, there are many, many other hadiths as well. But these three provide a very clear set of uh, guidance as to how Muslims are to behave when it comes to injustice oppression, tyranny, and issues of an economic nature from, from the rulers. And Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, he says in Sharh Muslim, هذا من معجزات النبوة That this meaning, this guidance and this advice is from the miracles of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And these reports in which the messenger said that, for example, there is going to be athara, there is going to be, you know, the rulers are going to uh, prefer themselves over you, and there's going to be things which you are going to dislike, and there's going to be things. This is from the uh, evidences of the nubuwa, the prophethood of Muhammad because these things are not possible, this, this guidance and this knowledge and this information about what is to happen in the Ummah and even this guidance itself because if you if you look in all of the nations throughout history and even today you see that this idea of if the ruler is tyrannical if he takes your wealth if he hoards the wealth himself so he's a millionaire and he's this and whatever and you are just so that 
you know, it is a must to rebel and to revolt because this, this is social justice. A person's mind and intellect would think that this would be the most correct and the most just to do, to simply remove the ruler and to, you know, replace the ruler. And a person would think that if the messenger of Allah was not a genuine prophet and he looked at the nations and he saw this is what the nations are doing, then he would have said the same thing. He would have said the same thing. That if the ruler is tyrannical, whatever, then rebel, kill him, fight him, whatever. But we see, contrary to that, that the Messenger of Allah he prohibited that when it comes to issues of wealth and injustice and things of that nature. He did make an exception, an exception as we shall see, as the Sheikh, Sheikh goes on to uh, mention uh, shortly, inshallah. Um, which is in, in the case where the ruler becomes a disbeliever with clear disbelief. Before we go to that, there's a statement from Imam Al-Ajuri, rahimahullah, and he says that someone might say, someone might say, regarding the statement of Umar bin Al-Khattab, that, you know, if, if the statement of Umar, who said to Abu Umayyah, he said, I do not know that, you know, I, you might not meet me again after this year, but take this advice, hear and obey, even if an Abyssinian slave is, you know, like a deformed Abyssinian slave is appointed over you, if he beats you, have patience, if he prevents your right, have patience, but if he wants to diminish your religion, take something away from your religion, then you say to him, I hear and I obey, my blood is less than my religion. And do not depart from the jama'ah. Right now, think about this advice here that Umar bin al-Khattab has given. Right? And to explain this advice, Imam al-Ajurri, he comments upon the statement of Umar bin al-Khattab. He explains it. He says, He says, He says, That this meaning contained in the statement of Umar is, and Allah knows best, is whoever commands you, whether he's an Arab or other than an Arab, whether he's black, whether he's white, whether he is a foreigner, like a non-Arab, then obey him in whatever is not disobedience to Allah. Obey him in, in whatever is not disobedience to Allah. And if he prevents you from a right that you have, he doesn't give you a right that you have upon him, or he beats you out of injustice and oppression, oppressing you, or he violates your honor, he, you know, violates your honor, or he takes your wealth, then do not allow this to revolt against him with the sword. Right? None of these things justify you going out with the sword to fight against him. Nor go along with a khariji, nor go with anybody else. So if anybody else does it, don't join him either. So don't do it yourself, nor join other people if they happen to go out, form a group and go fight against the You don't, do, don't join them either. Nor should you incite people to revolt against him either, right? So you don't revolt, you don't join anyone else who revolts, nor do you incite others to revolt. However, have patience upon him. And if he calls you into something in which there is 
uh, you know, it takes away from your religion, from this angle. For example, he might say to you, I command you to go and kill someone who does not deserve to be killed. Or to injure and to, you know, sever the limb of someone who does not deserve that in the Sharia, right? Or to beat someone who does not deserve to be beaten. Or to take the wealth of someone whose wealth is not deserved to be, to be taken. Or any type of kind of oppression which is not lawful. Then there is nothing else for you to say except, except, you know, it's not for you to obey him. And if he says to you, if you do not do what I command you, then I will kill you or I will beat you. Then you say, Dami duna mali, duna dini. Dami duna dini. He said, my blood is less than my religion. So meaning, take my blood, but my religion means more to you and I'm not going to obey you. Right? So this is the meaning of the statement of Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And this is the meaning of what it means to basically you know, obey the ruler, even if he's tyrannical, oppressive, uh, so long as he does not ask you to do something which is haram, which is unlawful, and which is going to decrease from your, from your religion. The fifth point of evidence here, or the fifth angle in responding to this uh, shubha, is that there is ijma'. There's a consensus on this issue, uh, quoted by Ibn al-Munzir, as mentioned by Ibn Hajar in Fatul Bari, he said, وَالَّذِي عَلِيهِ أَهْلُ الْإِلْمِ أَنَّ لِلْرَّجُلْ أَنْ يَدْفَعْ عَمَّا ذُكِرْ إِذَا أُرِيدَ ظُلْمًا بِغَيْرِ تَفْسِيلٍ إِلَّا أَنَّ كُلَّ مَنْ يُحْفَظْ عَنْهُ مِنْ أُلَمَاءِ الْحَدِيثِ كَالْمُجْمَعِينَ عَلَى اسْتِثْنَاءِ السُّلْطَانِ لِلْآثَارِ الْوَارِدَةِ بِالْأَمْرِ بِالصَّبْرِ عَلَى is that a man can repel from himself any type of oppression or anything that, that comes to him, um, like, like we mentioned. However, all of those from the scholars of hadith from whom knowledge is preserved, they are as if united that the issue of the ruler is an exception to that. Is an exception to that. Why? Because of all of those other commands, that command with patience upon his tyranny and not, you know, standing uh, against him. Finally, the, or the sixth of the seven points is that the Shaykh says, the Prophet ﷺ did not give permission to fight except in one, which is where we see clear manifest kufr ma'ana fihi min Allahi burhan, where we have clear evidence from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other than that, he did not grant permission to uh, fight. And obviously, this is mentioned in the in the in, in the Sunnah. And point number seven is that the scholars have distinguished between when the ruler commands you to disobedience, in which case there is no obedience, and when he takes your right from you, whether by a faulty interpretation or by a reason not found in the Sharia, then in that case you must have, you must have a sabr upon that. Okay, so once all of that is clear, we'll just move and kind of finish off very quickly, inshallah. The Shaykh goes on to mention 
that there are four things that the ruler can command you with. And this is based upon the hadith, or he's commenting upon the hadith, Alaman waliya alayhi wal fara'ahu ya'ti shay'an min ma'asiyatillah falyakrah ma ya'ti wala yanzi'anna yadan min ta'ah. Whoever has a rule appointed over him and he sees something of the disobedience of Allah, of Allah, let him hate that which he brings, but do not let him remove the hand of obedience. So the Sheikh says that what the ruler may command can be in various categories. The first category is that what he commands is from obedience to Allah such as building a masjid or you know uh, paving uh, making the way to build uh, uh, towns and cities construction and things of that nature these are righteous actions so if the ruler puts down the command whatever then it's obligatory to obey him in that because this itself is from obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the first category that which in itself is uh, you know nafi is beneficial and it is obedience to Allah. The second is that it is something which is makruh. It is disliked. So here now, this is the ijtihad of the ruler. And he is still obeyed in this because this is from the matter of the, of the ijtihad of the ruler. And the greater benefit is in obeying him in this particular issue. The third category is where he commands with the ma'asiyah with that which is actual disobedience, or he prohibits you from performing an obligation. So in this, he's not to be obeyed at all. He's not to be obeyed at all. And this would be, for example, if he said, I prohibit people praying in the mosques, because when people grow, go and pray in the mosques, there's congestion. People are getting in the cars, and they are you know, walking in this congestion. And this congestion is, for example, it's harming the people who trade. It's harming the economy, right? So look at this reasoning. He's thinking of an interest which is to do with an economic interest which might be beneficial to the, to the society. But at the expense of an obligation from the obligations of Allah. So now in this situation, should the ruler be, be obeyed in this situation? And the answer is no. He cannot be obeyed because he's prohibiting you from an obligation. What now if he put the police or the army on the streets to stop you from doing so? What now? What happens now? What happens now? And so in this situation, uh, the Sheikh says, لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah does not place a burden upon a soul more than it can bear. So here in this situation, if you are being forced not to attend the masjid, then you pray in your home and there's no blame upon you because Allah does not put a burden upon you more than what you, what you can bear. Right? So see the wisdom behind, uh, behind all of this. And finally, fourthly, that he commands something which is mubah in itself, which is permissible. So in this case, or, or he prohibits something which is mubah. Right? It is simply a permitted matter. There's no ruling in the Sharia. It's wajib or it's prohibited, you know, unlawful. So in this case, you obey the ruler. It uh, becomes necessary to obey the ruler. Why? Because 
for you to leave this permissible thing or for you to do this permissible thing, it doesn't harm you either way. To abandon what is mubah is not a sin. Right? It's not obligatory to do so. So in this case, you simply obey the ruler in his ijtihad based upon the general text or the general hadiths in this, uh, you know, in this regard. So this brings us to an end of the topic. And again, you see, this is one of the great and mighty subjects which is found in the books of creed because the, the connections to this topic, to the welfare of Allah's servants and to their lives and their blood and their livelihood and the stability in the society, it's, it's a tremendous issue. And this is why from the most distinguishing signs of the people of the sunnah is that they speak with the likes of these hadith despite the fact that people from every direction will be accusing them and accusing them of being you know like you hear all these uh, claims that are being made that they uh, defend the evil rulers and they defend the tawagit and they call to this and they call to that whatever we say no no we we follow what the messenger of Allah he commanded us we we do not agree with the evils because we, as the messenger, as you saw in the hadith itself, let him hate that which he sees in his heart. Right? You, have to, you hate it, what, what, what is in your heart. But you still give hearing and obedience. Right? So these claims that people make about, you know, you, you are cementing the thrones of the tyrants, and you are justifying the evil, and you are justifying the, the sin. No, we don't. We, we detest it. And we hate it. And we dislike it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But our emotions... Our emotions and our feelings and our opinions are controlled and regulated by the sunnah. And that's the difference between us and the people of innovation and misguidance. And by doing so, we prevent greater hardships, greater calamities, greater tribulations happening in, in societies. And this is what we, as we said, as Sheikh Al-Islam mentions often, that never ever in the history of Islam has any one revolted against an evil that he saw except that the evil that resulted was multiple times more than the one he initially tried to prevent right and this the, you know and and so this is the, this is a case in islamic history and even it's a it's a case even in if you want to go through european history or whatever history you find that this is always the case right because whenever there is instability and turmoil and civil strife there are always interests powerful interests who try to use that situation to their own advantage and to then oppress the people even more and this is european history is replete with this kind of uh, occurrence and so uh, as, as i said this is from the greatest affairs of creed of methodology by which the people of the Sunnah are distinguished. Right? If you want to use this as a test to see is this person truly a follower of the Sunnah, then this, this issue, this topic about the sinful, tyrannical uh, rulers, what do you say about them, what's our position towards them, what's our attitude towards them. This is from the clearest of things by which you can distinguish a person who makes istislam, who submits to the a hadith of the Messenger of Allah, which is wahi from Allah. It is revelation from Allah in which there is khair and goodness and rectification. This is, this, this is very clear. You can tell from the speech of a man exactly what he is upon. 
in relation to this topic. Just like you do, for example, with the issue of Allah's names and attributes. You know, you mentioned the hadith or the ayat to do with Allah's sifat khabariya. Allah, Allah, you know, Allah, Allah's wajh and Allah's, you know, these kind of uh, reports about these attributes. This, the sifat khabariya are a distinguishing, it's like a criterion between all the jahmiya and the people of kalam and between the people of Tawheed and Sunnah. Right, so this, this is why these are signposts of our religion and uh, th these are serious uh, issues. So on that note, we'll, we'll end today's lesson. The next lesson, uh, next topic is uh, interesting uh, topic, the beneficial topic, the hadith of the man uh, or the hadith of the man who killed 99 souls and also the rulings on backbiting. Rulings on backbiting. When is backbiting permissible? When is backbiting impermissible? Inshallah, we'll cover these two topics in the next lesson. With that, we'll conclude our lesson after today. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.